welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Sunday not-so-deep dive episode, a 30 to 40-minute podcast where you can get the basics of a stock, learn about it. We're going to flip over this rock together. We have Brad Freeman on the show, and you chose Chewy for your stock this week. Why did you choose it? Uh, how did it come up on your radar? Yeah. Uh, so just seeing all the, the Chewy boxes um, in, in my house. I'm a grad student who lives with his parents, so um, ha, ha, ha. But uh, seeing all the Chewy boxes at, at my mom and, and dad's house, just, I mean, it, it's it's a, a pretty pretty easy bull case and, and seeing them around the neighborhood just so uh, piqued my interest. They're helping that uh, the annual revenue per customer rate that we're going to go over. They're, they're helping that skyrocket, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, all right. We're going to talk or sorry, I'm going to let Ryan get into the story or the company. Excuse me. Can't talk today. But first, we have to talk about our friends at Potential Multibaggers. Potential Multibaggers is a service looking to find stocks that can go up 10x over the next 10 years or compound at 26% per year. Chris, our friend who has been on the show before, he might go under his pseudonym from growth to value. You He'll can check probably out. be on again. He will be on again because he's an expert on a lot of these companies. He's the founder of Potential Multibaggers, but he gets help from his team of Mark and Trung. They also write articles on the platform. There is a chat community where you can ask questions to Chris or other multis. Uh, that's what you, you know, call yourself. And then you can, you know, share your doubts, successes, everyone kind of communicates together to talk about some of the picks they have. So there's an overview every week. I mean, it's a very robust, I guess, is the word I'm thinking of community. So if you want to be a part of it, if you want to become a Bolty, you can go to seeking alpha and look up from growth to value, Google it, or go to at from value on Twitter. All right, Ryan. Do you want to discuss Chewy, give an overview of what the company does? Yeah. So they're basically a pure play e-commerce business for pets. Um, and so it has some other elements to the business as well that we'll talk about. But the majority of revenue comes from selling pet products like food, toys, treats, anything pet supplies related. And it's not just dogs. It's cats, reptiles, horses. It really has quite the plethora of options. That um, horse tam. Huge. Yeah. I make sure to get, put that in your DCF. Uh, but they do have some in-house brands. Uh, but I think the majority of their uh, sales come from their partners. So they have about 2,500 other brands that they stock on their digital shelves. Think what's the one that they used to have all those com- commercials for blue Buffalo. Blue Buffalo. Thing? Yeah. Organic so, stuff. You know that the wealth inequality is getting high when we're marketing organic uh, <laughs> dog food, but yeah. keep going. So. Uh, and so they have fulfillment stores scattered around the country. They can ship uh, up to 80%. They can ship to 80% of the U S in less than a day and a hundred percent of the U S in two days. Uh, and if a customer's order is higher than $49, they get free shipping. So I went on made my account this morning. I was kind of just looking at stuff. Uh, they really, really do pride themselves on customer service and customer centricity. They're not going to, they're not going to lose to Amazon on the logistics stuff. Most other e-commerce companies, you're like, ugh, like way worse than Amazon on shipping and fulfillment and cost and all that stuff. Chewy's pretty good. 
Yeah, they are. And I, I, I think the reason we're going to talk about it, they've gotten to a decent size now. And the reason they've been able to do that is because of the customer centricity focus that they've had. And I know a lot of people say like, oh, we really care about our customers. But for example, they send, when someone's pet dies, they send them flowers. That kind of thing is going to keep customer retention pretty high. Uh, and then most pet supply purchases are made on a, or a lot of them are made on a recurring basis. So I guess, you know, you buy dog food the same time of the month, every month or whatever. Um, so they also offer a subscription to kind of supplement their typical e-commerce offering. And then aside from the e-commerce stuff, they're trying to be a single online destination for all things pets. So they have a telehealth type service, which Brett will talk about. And that's like connecting with vets. Uh, they have a pharmacy. Uh, so they sell medication as well. Really anything you could need for a pet. They have like blogs to kind of answer questions. It's a pretty comprehensive sort of online pet destination. And then history is actually pretty fascinating. So Chewy began operating as Chewy.com in 2011 in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. The company was founded by Ryan Cohen, who's a pretty popular figure now. Um, and he said he was inspired by Jeff Bezos's 1997 Amazon shareholder letter, where he talked a lot about just being customer focused. Uh, and so he wrote an article kind of highlighting how he founded the company on the Harvard Business Review that I think is worth reading for anyone that wants to hear his story. But he initially founded Chewy, or he initially launched Chewy with Michael Day using his own cash and a small loan. When he was trying to find some startup capital, he went out to Silicon Valley and actually went door to door trying to get VC money, was shut down by just about everyone. They're probably, I mean, You'd probably have that uh, sharp reaction, you know, pets.com, you know, like get out of here, kid. He right. talked, they talked about that. They got that reference all the time. Yeah. Um, pretty much a different, and he basically rebuttaled that with, this is a different day and age. That was kind of premature. Um, but they, uh, Larry Chang eventually gave them $15 million and he started, he called that the high point of his professional career because they started really scaling up after that. However, in 2017, they sold the company to PetSmart for $3.35 billion. I believe that's when Ryan Cohen got out. And then he actually, it actually kind of just an anecdote. It started as an online jewelry store, but after a week of launch, they pivoted. So <laughs> he's Ryan Cohen is kind of all over the place. If you follow him on Twitter, you've probably noticed that. But uh, in February of this year, they were officially spun off by PetSmart. So they're an own independent public company. They IPO'd, I think, in June of 2019. So it's been around for a little bit now. Yep. I'll hit industry and competition quick. I'm going to classify them in just the broad U.S. pet industry. In 2018, U.S. pet spending was $90 billion. In 2020, it was estimated to be $99 billion. So growing market, but not rapid. And it's not going to, it's not like I don't know. It's not a business industry that's going to turn into a trillion dollars anytime soon. At least I wouldn't guess. Uh, and if we go a little bit deeper into it, there's a reason why they're trying to get into vet care and healthcare and the pharmacy stuff because vet care was thirty billion dollars of that spend. Competitors are, you know, they range far and wide. There's Petco, Pet Food Express, Amazon, other traditional retailers. I mean. A lot of any big box retailer is going to be selling dog food. I found a lot of smaller copycats and there were some doing even meal subscriptions for pets. I don't know the, vi the long-term viability of a lot of these. There was at least 10 of them. Um, and it feels like a Silicon Valley episode. I, I, uh, it's, tre it's trendy right now in the tech startup kind of scene. Yeah. We'll make it up in volume, I guess. Uh, let's see. Oh, there's also one like BarkBox seems interesting. It's kind of a competitor. 
I think they just give out random toys on a subscription service to your dog. So that could work, but yeah, very crowded right now. Um, Chewy is definitely the leader in any of these new age ones, uh, but we'll see. They, they have a lot of competition. And then if you want to go into the pet health market, it is also pretty crowded. You have Zoidus, you have a lot of individual pet practices. There's a ton of drug companies out there. There's Chupanion, which is pet insurance. That's a pretty small company. And then there's IDEX Laboratories. I don't know exactly what they do, but they are a public company as well. We can kind of discuss later what the obstacles are that Chewy might face, you know, pushing into the healthcare side. But there are, there are a lot of legacy players there. I would say their biggest competitor is probably just Petco. If you've listened to the business breakdowns episode with Patrick O'Shaughnessy, they talk about Petco and sort of the the footprint it has. It's really a big retail store. Uh, and then obviously sort of your typical brick and mortar retailers, like uh, at least for pet food, like yeah, Costco's, Amazon, I mean, Safeways. Walmart, Amazon. Amazon. Yeah, for sure. All right, Brad, do you want to hit management and ownership? Yep. So not not founder led, but uh, the, the current CEO and a board of director is Sumit Sai. So I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. I, th- I think it's Singh. Okay, uh, we're going to sing. Yeah. I'm, I'm Sumit Singh. So he was previously the COO of Chewy. So he's he has a lot of experience with the company before he was promoted. Director of consumables at Amazon. Uh, he was a general manager of North American merchant fulfillment and third party business at Amazon, and he was a Dell Technologies manager. Uh, he. he I, I listened to a bunch of his interviews. Um, I, 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 I normally listen to, to CEOs and love them, and, and this is no different. Uh, I, I guess I'm a pretty easy target for CEOs to, um, to, to make me like them, but he seems like a really down-to-earth guy and, and a very capable human being at the same time. But uh, CFO is Mario Marte. He was previously the VP of Finance and, and the Treasurer at Chewy before he was promoted. Um, he's been the, v, the Vice President of Financial Planning and Analysis at Hilton, um, he was a divisional controller at American Airlines and a senior consultant at Accenture. Um, so pretty good experience there. The general counsel um, was previously the assistant general counsel and a VP at Goldman Sachs. Uh, the, the chief technology officer used to be the um, VP of da- data and analytic, uh, analytic solution at United Health and Staples. Um, so a, a lot of really impressive experience throughout the executive team. Interesting notes on the board of directors. Uh, BC Partners uh, has five board of director seats. Um, so they have a very large presence. Um, some other some other uh, highlights: the CFO of Best Buy, um, the CFO at Williams Sonoma, the CFO at Dole. Um, j- yeah, a, a really a really well-rounded board of directors, a really well-rounded executive team. Um, in terms of ownership, so BC Partners, as, as you may have expected, by them having five board of director seats, according to their most recent proxy statement, uh, BC Partners vir- owns virtually all of the Class B stock here. Uh, and so they have virtually all of the voting power. Class B comes with 10 times the voting power of Class A shares. Insiders and executives um, not involved with BC just own 1.3% of the company. So kind of similar to PayPal, uh, which we did a, a month ago or something like that. Um, when there's a large exit, uh, which there was here, uh, it's, it's pretty typical that insider ownership is pretty low. Um, in terms of institutional ownership, you got your typical bellwethers, Morgan Stanley, Valley Gifford, Vanguard at around 25% of the float. Gifford, yeah, Gifford's in so many stocks. I mean, that's such a big fund. Um, Ryan, did you have anything, or are you raising? I was just going to say this. I assume you got this from the latest fiscal year twenty or the latest fiscal year proxy statement. A lot of this is probably going to change since the liquidation or the PetSmart spinning, PetSmart spinning them off. 
came in February of 2021. So like, yeah, so it, it might change. Yeah, but it is interesting that that one outside fund, or maybe they're technically an insider or whatever, but they held, you know, all the voting power. It's kind of a weird yeah. dynamic. Um, they're, they're very involved with uh, what was called PetSmart. So, so it makes, um, it makes some sense. And just for our viewers, uh, for their awareness, this proxy, this proxy statement was from May of 2021. So yeah, um, that's a good point. It could be changing with, with that, with that liquidation. I guess yeah. that would have came right after, but yeah, it'll be weird, but either way, this isn't where you're not looking that this is like a founder, you know, led story. Uh, yeah, whoever owns it, it's not, not going to be a giant deal. Uh, all hit valuation market cap, uh, from when we're recording is 37.1 billion ticker is C H W Y trailing price to sales of 4.84 trailing price to gross profit of 18. So very fairly low margins here. Uh, not really any relevant earnings or cash flow numbers. They were profitable. Yes, they were profitable last quarter and they were cash flow positive, but looking at their margin structure, probably, you know, something like 10% profit margins are doable here at maturity. We can probably, we'll get to that in the second half and maybe discuss whether that's too high or too low. Um, and then just another note on the valuation, they have about 15 million in options outstanding versus 415 million shares outstanding. So not a crazy amount, but there will be as usual, you know, some stock option headwinds with this company. Um, Ryan, you want to hit earnings? Yeah, I'm just going to hit the first quarter stuff. So first quarter revenue was 2.1 billion, up 32% year over year. And they had gross margins of 27.6%. That actually grew 420 basis points or 4.2% year over year. Uh, and then net margins of just under 2%, uh, but they had 59 million or so in free cash flow. That's about 3% free cash flow margin. So as you said, it's kind of early in the margin conversion. Uh, and that free cash flow margin has improved each year of the, each of the last three years. Um, and then they're spending about 1% of sales on stock-based compensation. So cash flow is actually a decent proxy for profitability here. It's not like they're masquerading it or anything like that. And then they had 19.8 million active customers up 32% year over year. Auto ship customers are growing just slightly higher than that. And then net sales per active customer grew almost 9% year over year. And it sits at around $388. Uh, as far as trailing 12 months, just to give people an idea, it's about eight billion dollars yep. in and sales they're, and they're guiding for nine billion this fiscal year if i remember looking at the shareholder letter so i mean decent Solid all around earnings, yeah. yeah nothing to complain about nothing was like whoa that's crazy but everything it's like a, out. yeah and keep in mind covid gave them a pretty big boost because obviously pet food spending is pretty resilient. It's kind of a necessity and a lot of people had to do it digitally so some of the year-over-year -year comps look I mean, I guess they've stuck around, but comps might get a little worse, at least growth real, uh, in the second quarter, third quarter. Yeah, Brad, so, you got something? Yeah, we also saw those really heartwarming and encouraging stories about dog shelters um, emptying out during the pandemic because people had more time on their hands. So hopefully that was hopefully that was a, a durable trend, but, but that could be another tailwind for them. And I'll also say on the fallout, on the back half, there was articles that said like people are sending the dogs back to their shelters. The shelter said that's not true. There was There's rebuttal probably articles. Some people that it's, that's a good clickbait headline. You know? Yeah. So good for the dogs. Uh, yeah. And I guess good for Chewy. Good for Chewy. Yeah. We're going to get that pet spending up, right? <laughs> that's what we want. Uh, Brad, do you want to hit balance sheet wrap of the first half? 
Yep, pretty darn strong here. So they have 637 million in cash on hand and equivalents. Um, and, and like Ryan and Brett were talking about, they are cash flow positive and that is pretty real. Um, that cash flow is pretty real. Uh, they have negative 700 million in net receivables. For a company like this, it's not super concerning. Um, they use their trade accounts to finance inventory. So don't pay too much attention to that. I'm not paying too much attention to that. Um, they have another 12.4 thousand shares in unvested PRSU. So these are performance vesting conditions. So virtually zero dilution from, from the, the equity standpoint. But as Brett was talking about, there's also some options out there that, that, will, um, have, that, that will create some more dilution. They have another 400 million in inventory and no debt, but they do have a credit revolver, or I guess very little debt, I should say. They have, they have a credit revolver for 400 million max, of which almost all of it has not been drawn down. So that's where I, I say almost none instead of none. Um, they're paying 0.25% to 0.38% on, on any undrawn credit maturing in 2024. Um, and then there's one more thing that I wanted to talk about. Uh, uh, oh, and then 402,000 in total interest expense. Um, so really, really not a huge consideration there. And they've got a ton of flexibility to do what they want to do. Yeah, the most interesting thing about them was, uh, I'm not an expert on Amazon, but I think it, the balance sheet is similar to Amazon's where the working capital is almost negative most of the time. And some people can get concerned about that, but it's just because they have a lot of payables since they're buying stuff from people shipping it to customers. They're that middleman. Um, all right, let's hit the ad break and then we'll get back for the second half of the show. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is red color, red color, where are you? All blocked, thanks to advanced security, included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back. Uh, anecdotal evidence, Brad, you kind of gave yours away, but what, what, have you used the website before or, or is it just someone in your family that's used it? I, I have not personally used the website, but my mom, who I trust and love very much, uses it and loves it. So I'm going to go with two thumbs up on her behalf. All right, good. She's got good lifetime value to do yeah. it. <laughs> Nice. All right, Ryan. I made an account this morning. Uh, I it's an it's a really intuitive website. There are a lot of offerings, a lot more than I was expecting, a lot more different uh, for all types of pets. Uh, and then there's also a lot of first time order discounts, which I think is a good idea. I'll get into it and I'll explain why. But uh, yeah, I'm kind of a dog person myself. I could see myself using this um, if I had a dog to myself, I guess it belongs to my parents. So, uh, I, yeah, I thought the website was good. Yeah, I, I agree. Like if I, I don't have a pet, if I ever got one, I'd probably use Chewy. It's also most likely. I, I would just, sorry. Uh, I would say I trust getting food or pet food from something like this, as opposed to an Amazon. There's like a deteriorating trust factor with me on Amazon. Yeah. Well, you just got to be smart with Amazon, but I don't know. You got to go to like Amazon. You can't go with one of those random brands. You got to go with, I don't know what the big brands are, but you got to stick with those. It is concerning. They have some problems with the, I don't know, bad, uh, it's not customer service. It's just bad. Uh, the inventory is in high quality. Um, let's see any anecdotal elements for me. I haven't used it. 
but auto ship seems like they really got that right. Uh, it seems like an easy service, like you just whatever five percent off and you schedule it. But Amazon's is a pretty bad scheduling service. I used it for a few food items, and you can't get it down to enough where it's either coming too fast or too uh, slow. So Chewy, I don't know what they're doing with it, but it seems to be working incredibly well with 70% or was it 69% of their revenue coming from auto ship stuff. I mean, that, that's just really impressive anecdotally. Um, all right, future growth opportunities, Brad, what do you have for us? Yeah, mine's pretty straightforward. So uh, thinking about macro demographics, the, the younger the generation, not in general, generally speaking, the higher propensity is to spend on pet supplies. So we're talking about these crazy meal prep plans that are coming out in, in organic food lines that people are spending on. And that's because our generation and, and, and millennials and, and the younger you get, the, the more we have proven to be willing to, to splurge on our pets as we consider them family more so than, than, than older generations do. And, and we, we, we can, I, I guess we love them a little bit more than older generations do, again, generally speaking. So I think ARPU average revenue per user has a very long way to go um, just because they're going to, they, they are a core brand in this movement and they're just going to be able to ride this wave of more and more spending as, as younger people become a larger portion of pet ownership. Yeah, that makes sense in the light of management said that if customers get to their fifth year, they're spending, I think, $800 with Chewy. So that to me tells me that ARPU or however they define it, should just continue to climb over time. And I forget where I saw this, but percentage of homes with a pet has gone up dramatically over recent decades. Uh, and it's been something that's steadily increased. So I think Brad's right. Uh, I think younger and younger generations continue to see them more as like a part of the family. Yeah. But I'll, I'll, I'll get into mine. So future growth opportunity for me is their proprietary brand. So this is, I put it as the Amazon basics for Chewy. It's currently outpacing the growth of the overall business. And it, if you're it, looking, it's in the, they put it in the other category. It's very hard to see where they classify that, but it oh. is in the other one. I had to look it up for a full article I was doing. Uh, so other, it has the healthcare stuff in there too, but other for some reason, they're putting like their their basics in there too. Sorry, okay, and so it, that also is higher margin. I, I, they didn't explicitly say that, but it has to be. Maybe they did say that, but it's their gross margin over of the overall business tipped up because of uh, proprietary brand growth outpacing uh, top line traditional growth. And then I'd also say they're discounting their in house brands in-house brands pretty heavily. So based on the website, it looked like it was much cheaper than a lot of the other dog foods and get them on auto ship. That's three, you know, like four years straight. I mean, people, you know, they're not, they're keeping that the same, you know, typically. Yeah. Yeah. There, I won't get into why, but there's a reason that you want to keep your pet's food the same. Um, so once you start using one, you kind of stick with it. So giving a heavy discount on that first time, if for any dog owners, you probably know. You I'm don't want about. to give the reason why, Ryan. I'm not going to, I'm not going to name Digestive. It. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so I think that early discounts a great way to get them on board and kind of grow that proprietary brand. Yeah. I'll get into mine. It's the health stuff. It's called Chewy Health. And then they also have this new initiative called Connect with a Vet. Um, and that means veterinarian, not like veteran. Uh, it expanded into its online vet offerings and they started this in May. So they added video consult consultations, 
pre-schedules and then extended hours of operation where you can go upwards to like 11 at night, which is just another way they try to focus on having the best value proposition for pet owners. Because sometimes, you know, your pet could be in trouble. You could be worried about it. You don't want to wait until, you know, the nine to five opens. Um, This is probably a tough market to go after. There's a lot of moving parts. Seems like there could be some regulations, uh, but I think it could help accelerate the core business because if you're consulting with a veterinarian who is a partner with Chewy, I think there's no doubt that they're going to recommend Chewy products for the patients. It kind of locks in more with this ecosystem and it get Or at least refer them to the pharmacy. Yeah, or, or refer them to something where Chewy is going to get more, you know, they're going to get helped out more. And it makes it different than a traditional retailer. Amazon will not be doing this. I don't, I doubt. Okay, I guess I doubt Amazon or Walmart or Costco or Target would do this. And it makes it so they have a clear, different value. I guess I'll just say value proposition again versus just a standard retailer. Yeah. And the other, the only thing I'd caveat that with is. So Petco has a huge kind of global footprint and I guess that's- They could do that, that yeah. kind of talks to one of my lowlights potentially, but they have a lot of vet offices or they have vet offices, I think in 10% of their storefronts. Yeah. Um, so that's the other one that could potentially compete on that with them. But this is obviously a digital offering, so you don't have to leave the home. Yeah, the telehealth thing, it's tough, but we'll see. All right, highlights and lowlights, Brad, what do you like? What do you don't like about Chewy? I think the branding is on is phenomenal. So ordering pet supplies from a place called Chewy just feels right to me. Um, and so I, I think that's a pretty strong factor with this investment. And then pairing that with um, this this other feature of them being effectively obsessed with customer service and, and coming up with really innovative ways to ensure that that customer service remains elevated that we've covered a little bit. Uh, it's, it's a pretty darn compelling um, combination to me. And then Pairing that with the fact that their balance sheet is so pristine and they're already profitable um, and there's very little stock-based compensation compared to some of these other companies that we look at, they, they can be very aggressive um, in pursuing growth. Maybe things like a, a pet metaverse, which I'm completely kidding. Um, <laughs> petaverse. But, yeah, 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 the petaverse. The, uh, the petaverse. Yeah. You've been um, listening to Zucks and Microsoft's, you know, the conference calls too much, right? Yeah, and I'm, I'm listening to Zuckerberg talk too much. But but lowlights, this might not be fair to them, but it's my lowlight anyway. So uh, it, it's it's honestly Ryan Cohen in the board member um, who is the CEO of PetSmart uh, and, and is a board member at Chewy and he's a board member at GameStop. So I, I just, I find that company, and I'm sorry if this offends anyone, just so darn toxic and, and, and so stay away from it at all costs that any involvement with it just makes me cringe a little bit. And it's not a red flag, it's a yellow flag. And there's not a whole lot of other things to pick at with this company. But I didn't really like seeing that. Yeah, he's not controlling Chewy anymore. So it should be fine. But like, you know, yeah. he's a bit of a wild card. It Brad looks Yester. like Ryan he's Cohen's current. unaffiliated with him. Yeah, yeah it's more so this, this current board of directors who is the CEO of PetSmart and is still a board of directors on Stewie and, and GameStop. So that, that's the connection that makes me cringe a little bit more. Um, I, I'm not going to fault them for a, a founder selling out and, and, and wanting to do something else, but I, I forget his name, but the CEO of PetSmart being involved with Chewy and GameStop directly, it's just, it's just a little bit um, unsettling for me. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. The highlights yeah. for me, it's a pretty resilient business model. There's not a whole lot of seasonality or cyclicality. If there's a downturn, uh, pet spend well, should not. I mean, it's, it's new pets. New pets. I mean, new once pets, you have them, you know, if the economy is going down, not less people are going to be getting the, new pets. Yes, but the spend on food, uh, I would say, is a necessity. They highlight that in their 10K as well. I, I mean, it's it's kind of, you know, it's just one of those, it's not really discretionary uh, if you have an existing pet. Um, I guess the other thing would be uh, habits rarely change with pet spend. So if you can lock in a lot of customers, I, I think they're going to be around for a long time. I also think the sending flowers when a pet dies is brilliant. I, I At least anecdotally, people that have pets pass away tend to get another one and it's probably hard to go to a different pet supplier uh after something like that when they you could see them be nice about it yeah you can see people being judgy about it too like oh i use amazon wow i take care of my pet i use chewy yeah i guess there is (laughs) that um and then low lights for me there really isn't a lot i guess petco is a pretty viable competitor. They have a really large footprint. It kind of feels like Amazon slash Walmart d- dynamics. You could the, argue like the tan, you know, like kind of like tan maybe. I don't know. It's tough though. It's tough to yeah. put tan as a low light. Yeah. I wouldn't even, uh, it's possible. It just might stay fairly fragmented consumer habits. Obviously it, it looks like Chewy's been able to eat market share for a while. Maybe they want to, maybe they had just I don't see why that would stop. Yeah. Um, well, they could have gone after the easy customers. It could be harder to attract the future customers. Um, but that's, I don't know. That's, that's a, I don't know. I have no reason to. I'm kind of reaching for low lights. I'll say that. Yeah. Same with me. Um, highlights though. Strangely, it reminds me of Peloton. That's kind of the company I thought of here. People would be like, some people might roll their eyes here, but just the way they take care of their customer base and making something that should be a commodity more of a, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, more fun. Yeah, or the what do they call it? Brand affinity, I guess. I don't think Chewy has the brand affinity of a Peloton because they're one of the top in the market. But um, yeah, pet market though is a perfect, I think, you know, niche. And it's not really a niche if it's a $100 billion business. But the big boys like Walmart, Amazon, and Costco are not going to focus all of their resources on it, but it's still big enough where someone can, you know, win and, and take, is, take a lot of market or sorry, get a lot of annual revenue. Yeah. It's definitely not worth some sort of massive investment from the big guys. Cause the reward just isn't there, but it's, yeah, yeah it's kind of like that perfect middle ground. Yep. And then without any hard numbers, I mean, we've talked about it. Customer retention has got to be pretty strong with a business like this. You can just see it. I, I hate to describe it like that, but you can kind of just, from the way the business is, the anecdotes you see, how they have auto ship is such a high percentage of revenue. Customer retention has got to be really good with them. Uh, Lolex, margin is the only one for me. Yeah, low margin business. Um, they're already 10% market share, or no, going to be close if they hit their numbers this year. That That's a concern for me. Uh, I wonder what ca- how much cash they're able to generate, but... Other than that, really hard to find low lights. I mean, their strategy been bulletproof. I, I'd say. Do you guys have any problems with any of their strategy? Uh, it's just like a, I don't know. It's the path for them is pretty clear. It's just been 
an efficient e-commerce business that does one thing really well. I mean, I guess they have these other initiatives, but it, they're not reinventing any sort of strategy here. They're just doing something exceptionally well. Yeah. Brad, did you have any problems or any concerns on that? No. And, and I, I also was really reaching for low lights because um, there's not a lot to pick at. But in terms of the low margin um, for a business like this, I almost think it feeds into your your thesis of the big boys not being too focused on taking their market share and, and trying to um, eliminate them because it, it's not as lucrative of an opportunity as AWS was or, or other things like that. Um, so the low margins, as weird as this sounds, almost insulates them from from new competitive ent- entrants. Um, and and it they insulates feel- them from startups because startups yeah. have to get scale before it can work. Yeah. Great point. And, and I mean, if they can scale largely enough on the top line, then you can you could make a really nice business out of 10% run rate profit margins. Yeah, and they have what, 12 fulfillment centers? I don't know if Ryan, you mentioned the specific number, but that costs a lot of money to, uh, to build out. Um, all right, bull case, Brad, what do you think has to happen for Chewy to be a good investment going forward? Yeah, so it's, it's not gonna be a verb, but sort of like to, to Venmo is associated with sending money to order from Chewy is associated with um, ordering pet supplies. So it, it, it achieves ubiquity across the world and successfully expands in other territories. Um, it becomes a leader in scale so that it can profitably undercut and, and profitably um, accept these lower margins to insulate itself from that competition and build market share. Sort of using a predatory pricing model that Walmart did so effectively for so long. Um, that that seems like the bull case and it seems pretty darn feasible at this point. All right, that makes sense. Ryan? Yeah, uh, the uh, now to, I usually take these estimates with a grain of salt, but the categories expected expected to compound spend at around five to six percent. So if that happens, uh, and that's Chewy, right, every category is going to grow faster than GDP. But this not. has because <laughs> this has, more this homes has, yeah. are beginning to own pets. Uh, uh, so I guess if that persists, and then if Chewy continues to eat more and more market share of that pet spend, I could see the core business uh, so as long as they just mildly outpace the category growth um and then they the core business reaches 10 percent free cash flow margins and these other initiatives uh are kind of like call options on the business and they work out there's a bull case here for outperformance i i don't see this being a 300 billion dollar business just because like brett said there's some sort of tam limitations there uh, but unless they go really, they get really successful internationally, which is a big if. Yeah. And I guess they said they could go international, but it's, they said, it's purely U.S. right now. Yeah. They said they're, and I do like this, not going international just for the sake of international. Uh, they're saying they're targeting to try to do that within the next five years. But right now they see just the opportunity within uh, the U.S. that they want to get that perfect before moving anywhere else. Yeah. What about you? Um, similar to you guys, I just slapped some numbers on them. I think you probably need to see $50 billion in annual sales on like 10% profit margins. Um, that's doable, but tough. Uh, just giving some customer numbers around that, that would mean 50 million customers spending a thousand dollars a year. And if you don't think that each customer is going to spend $1,000 a year. You have to think that they're going to get more customers. So it could be 100 million customers at $500 a year. That doesn't seem crazy, but it's 
pretty far away from from here. And I don't know if there's 50 million customers in the U.S. unless they get 100% market share because not everyone has pets and, you know, it's family spend. Like Brad said, there's not four people in the household using Chewy. It's just one household. So, you know, the... I guess that full case yeah. kind of turned into my bear case a little bit of the TAM stuff too. Yeah, a lot of customers they got to get. Uh, all right, wrap things up with the bear case. Brad, what could go wrong here? Yeah, I, I want to preface, preface this with saying I don't think it will happen and I'm reaching for a bear case like I did with low lights, but they could get Amazon and, and I own GoodRx and Teladoc and I owned FedEx for a very long time. So I, I think the, the threat of somebody like Amazon um, entering a competitive field is, is often overstated if a company is effectively run and and, and, and has a, a compelling value proposition. I don't think it's the end of the world, but more so proof of concept. But if Amazon comes in and and can do to other to, can do to Chewy what it has done to other company companies in the past, um, that is the bear case. Yeah. <laughs> it seems unlikely. It, it seems, seems unlikely, unlikely but, but yeah. You mentioned that. Um, right. For me, I don't know. There is, there really isn't a crazy bear case. The, the I mean, there's not like a models, short case. There's not like a short. You couldn't no. really write a short report out. The think. business model's been proven at this point. They have a loyal customer base, and spend is growing incrementally each year. It, to me, the bear case would be that they mildly outpace category growth, and then these other bets don't really prove out to be anything. And then at that point, you kind of have something that's just slightly underperforming the market, maybe not a great investment. It, the, the downside is pretty limited here. Yeah. The it's, worry is just that you're not, uh, the worry is that the stocks stays at a 30, 40, $50 billion market cap forever. That would, that's kind of what I get concerned on. And like when I, I don't know why, but when I, I read about this business, I just go, eh, like that's, that's my immediate thought. I'm like, why would I invest in this over other things? But maybe that's what caused so many people to overlook it because when they IPO'd, I bet when Ryan and I were talking about it, if we were ever just chatting about it, like, oh, did you see Chewy IPO? And we probably would say like, ha, what's that? Another pets.com. We're about to pop the bubble. Like, yeah. but it's actually a lot different. And I think a lot of people don't look at the underlying business, but I think the bear case is just margins. That's, it could hold them back. I mean, you, you got one category, or not one category, excuse me. You have a limited TAM, at least in the U.S. Margins are not great. I mean, how much cash can they reasonably generate to say that it's worth, you know, seventy-five, hundred billion dollars? That's where I find trouble here, and I think we're kind of that. That's similar to what both you guys said as well. Um, all right, more or less interested, Brad. Um, yeah, I, I think I got to go with more interested. Uh, not, there are no red flags here in my opinion, just, just yellow flags. Uh, so I, I do think that it's not, it's not crazy expensive, like some of these other companies we've covered, but, um, I don't know if there, there's nothing that, that makes me say, nah, I don't want to own it, but there's, uh, yeah, I don't know. More interested, not passionately more interested. And then, then just one more note I'll add. If people are thinking, well, the, the TAM is not an issue because they're just going to expand into Europe and Asia and, and all these places and they'll be fine. Just an anecdotal um, comparison to a logistics-based company like FedEx. Um, I'll use that example again. When they bought TNT in Europe, it took them years and years and years to profitably 
integrate um, those assets. So it's not a given that they can just expand everywhere. Um, maybe that is my maybe that is my bare case, but but I am more interested, um, and and I'll, I'll keep watching it going forward. And American consumer and pet culture is, a, I believe, a lot different than around the world. Where I, the the I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is like in Europe and other places, there's less propensity to accept like a Walmart or a Costco or an like just kind of the big brand. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. If you guys kind of get what I'm saying, so that can yeah. be tough, but I mean, people have had success before, you know, McDonald's is everywhere, I guess. For, uh, yeah. For me, there were no red flags. It seems like a sound business. It seems like it's been proven and I could see it continuing to grow, but it's just unexciting. Like I, I for some reason, I'm still less interested. Um, the upside just feels capped. I'm in the same boat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm in the same boat. I don't think I have to say anything else. Yeah. Less interested, nothing wrong. Hi. I think it's a quality business, uh, but I'm still less interested. And maybe that's why the opportunity has been so strong, Brad. So in a, a hypothetical world, if this, if, if these fundamentals existed and you were reading this S1 and it was going public today at like a 10 or $15 billion valuation, would, would that would that open your eyes? So is, is it the fact that it's, it's, it's too far along in its journey for, for what it is right now that the, the, the risk reward is kind of skewed a, a little underwhelmingly? Yeah, I th- they've proven it. And I wonder what the financials looked like at the IPO, because if it hadn't proven any cash generation, I would be worried, you know, I, I yeah. would be worried. And I don't know if I would have been able to take that risk. Um, I don't know, Ryan, do you have any? Yeah, I mean, if the valuation were cut in half, that yeah, I definitely, I'd obviously be more interested. But yeah, by Roku, if it was cut in half, by Snowflake, <laughs> yeah, I about everything, everything, <laughs> everything we talk about. Yeah, it. Uh, I mean, the valuation isn't like dirt cheap. I'd say it's fair. Um, I, like I said, it is. I guess Tam Tam worries. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap things up. Stock for next week. Yeah. My choice. Uh, we're going to stay in the, I don't know. I don't know if people are going to be excited or disappointed with this. We're going to stay in the high valuation software. We're going to do Doximity. I believe they just went public. Recommendation. Um, recommendation from on a, a, from a listener or watcher on YouTube. Cannot remember exactly where, but should be fun. Uh, seeing that thrown around a bit. So yeah, watch out for that next week. All right, before we wrap up, remember that none of us are financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week.